Do you want a cash-flowing portfolio that lets you live a life of freedom? Sunsets and palm trees on your terms. Your host, Corey Peterson, is a rags-to-riches real estate millionaire who started with no money or credit and quickly grew a multi-million dollar portfolio of cash-flowing apartments. You're only one deal away from creating the cash flow life, and the Multifamily Legacy Podcast will show you how. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Multifamily Legacy Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peterson, and today we've got a wonderful podcast for you. My good friend, Chris Seveny, is going to talk about notes, but we talk about a lot more about the market, the opportunity, what the big boys are doing. It's just great insight on real estate, commercial, how it works, what we should be doing, what we should be thinking more importantly, and just overall amazing content. So let's get ready to get into that. Before we do that, a word from our sponsors. Are you ready to take your multifamily game to the next level and learn the amazing results of living the cash flow life? Apartment investing can change your life. I know for a fact it's changed mine, and I would like to share my extraordinary journey with you and the clues I've learned along the way by giving you my book, Copy Your Way to Success, for free. So text the word book, B-O-O-K, to 480-500-1127. Again, that's the word book, B-O-O-K, to 480-500-1127. And my team will ship it to you absolutely free as a way to say thank you for listening to this podcast. And remember, your paradise is possible. All right, guys, we're back. And I'm just going to tell you, this was a really fun podcast. I've not asked it for a while, but if you guys love this podcast, man, will you give me a five-star review where you go out there and leave some type of review? I don't care if it's good, bad, or ugly, but leave me something. Share it with your friends. We're trying to put out great content with good guests that really bring some things that are missing in the marketplace. So hopefully you guys enjoy this podcast as much as I have, because I think it's amazing. So guys, Let's get into it. Hey, Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, Curry, how are you today? Doing amazing. It's a wonderful day in hell, which is what I call Phoenix right now because it is so hot. I heard it's a little bit hot in DC right now, too. It is. It's hot. It's humid. You want to step outside and just feel like you're stepping in a sauna with the humidity. That's what it feels like on our neck of the woods. I know you get the dry heat. It's probably 20 degrees warmer where you are. But yeah, we get that this time of year, that hot humidity, which does not want you to be outside. It goes along the whole coast because I was just in Atlanta and I was like moving furniture for 10 minutes. I was like, I'm soaking through my pants and my shirt. Yesterday, I'm in Arizona. I go for an hour run and I barely even have any sweat on me. It's a different type of hot out there, brother. I was on the phone earlier before this recording with somebody up in Philadelphia, which he said the same thing. And usually summers are hot on the East Coast, but it's usually August is when you get this type of weather. But it's a little early this year. But Christmas um, came early, huh? Yep, exactly. <laughs> well, listen, we've got a lot to talk about today. Your company, 70, you guys have been in the business for a minute and doing stuff. Before we get started, though, why don't you just tell everybody a little bit about yourself and a little bit of your short story? Yeah. So currently, right now, our primary focus is investing in distressed mortgage notes. We have two funds, Regulation A, Regulation D offerings that are raising money for those. I got into this aspect of the business many moons ago because I started out in real estate. So I'm one of those people who, when I graduated college, I started working for a commercial general contractor up in the Northeast. I'm originally from Massachusetts and did that for 15 years and then worked for a large real estate developer. So I got really to see the best of both worlds, the construction management side, which is where I spent my early career, 
then the development side on the latter part of my career, and then decided to leave all nice, cushy corner office to start my own company. As every great entrepreneur does. Chomping at the bit. And our company is about six years old, but last year I made the full-time shift. Right. That's beautiful. It's funny how that things happen, right? I always look back the journey to entrepreneurship and specifically like the larger multi-deals and stuff like that. Everybody's got a different path of how they transcend into it, but hang in there and stay for the long term and just persevere. I've always been a big believer if you hold real estate long enough or notes long enough or whatever, you'll ultimately always win because real estate will always go up. Yeah. And it's interesting. So I can share a story with two companies I work for specifically to that, which is both were development companies. And one of them was what we call merchant builders, if people are familiar with the term, which will develop a multifamily property to turn around, stabilize and sell it. And a very successful large company was doing this in the 90s and early 2000s and got a little greedy and they're buying up a lot of land to do all this development. And all of a sudden, we all know what happened in 2008. And they were caught with their pants down where they had all this land. They were paying all this debt on this land and they stopped doing any development on it, end up going under. And another company I work for, I'll call it a family office, a family run business. They had been buying properties in the, we call it the DMV, DC, Maryland, Virginia area since the 50s. And they always hold their property. And several brothers who now have a portfolio that is, what's a billion dollars, nine digits, 10 digits, whatever it is. But you just see two people who are doing the same exact thing. The merchant builder always need to replenish that cash. The buy and hold basically owned it, paid it off, and they're just sitting on it. And now they're doing other things in life and real estate's secondary to them. Weather, everything. Yes. All right. That's the ticket, dude. That's where I'm at, right? I'm like, I just want that box. I was in East Coast, right? So my property's in the South, but I was at probably North Carolina and I was going through Greenville, South Carolina, which is where I bought my first deal, Chris, right? Booming right now. Oh my God. And so I go drive by it and I'm like, why did I ever sell this beautiful property? And I know why I sold it because it was my first one. I bought it for 3.2. I sold it for 8.8. But then I go and look on CoStar the last five years because it's been six years since I sold it. 15 million? <laughs> yes. Yeah, it transacted at 16 million. Yep. And I'm like, blessed me. All I needed to do was do nothing. Yeah. Refinance. Oh, those lessons are hard, my friend. I was going to say, yeah, as you start getting the grays on the side and so forth, you look back and you realize it's like, oh, great market. I already knew it was a great market. And I was like, I love Greenville, South Carolina. It is such a cool little town. It caters to this corporate client. I was like, why did I ever sell? I really enjoyed coming to visit this property. Anyways, I had some brokers where I was at. They're like, hey, Corey, go take a look at this property in Spartanburg, just a little bit farther north. So now I'm maybe looking at that because I'm like, I fell in love with that market again. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting, as you mentioned that, because in today's world, which is everything's about information and everything wants to be done yesterday and everyone's about velocity. I'll say this all the time to people, one asset class at just patience, just have patience. It's going to go up. It's going to go down. If you have debt on it and it's fixed debt, that's not going anywhere. And yeah, your values will go up and down. But eventually you look back at last hundred years. And we know how our government likes to spend money, which means the price of everything increases, especially assets. Yeah, it's the long game. So 
Let's talk about distressed mortgage notes because that's a little different. Yep. So that's not being on the equity side. That's just on the debt side. Correct. And most people don't even know this exists. So we'll buy on residential properties on the secondary market from hedge funds or institutions and banks, distressed loans. And when most people hear of distressed mortgage, they think the loans, you know, 30 days past due when someone's going to come knock on their door and basically tell them they're going to foreclose. Our average loan is about five years behind. When people hear that, it's like, whoa, people haven't paid. I've got one that I was on mediation last week. They haven't paid in 11 years. You know, these are serious delinquent loans. And then, of course, the question always comes, how do you make money when somebody's not paying on your loan? And to compare it to buying a dilapidated property, you buy a property that needs no people in it. You need to fix it up, get people in there, get them paying, and then you can turn around and get that cash flow selling. And note's the same thing where instead of rehabbing the property, we try and rehab the borrower, get them on a new payment plan, get them to give us a down payment and get start paying again. And the moment they do that, it's like having a rental with somebody in there. You can turn around, you have cash flow coming in. All of a sudden the lights turn on. It's red, now it's green. Yeah. And when you're buying those types of notes, there's got to be a heavily discounted note. Yes. So we'll discount a $100,000 loan. You just use that as nice, simple terms, depending on the state, because it's extremely state-specific in regards to foreclosure laws. You know, New York takes five years, Texas takes five months. So it's probably faster, actually, but very big difference. But we're typically paying anywhere from 30 to 75 cents on a dollar. Wow. 70%. Yeah. It's got a lot more expensive over the last three years, because just like real estate, lack of inventory and appreciation in the houses. So you got less downside risk, but yeah, still be able to buy them at a discount. So this is my lesson in this business, right? I remember watching it on the headlines in 2008, 2009. Henry Paulson left his company with whatever it was and started his own company. The federal government gave him money and he bought paper and he bought it. Pennies back then. Yes. Pennies on the dollar. And you want to talk about a right to mop up. I had a loan with this company for my personal mortgage. I was like, oh, now my dad's like, dude, they just bought that out. He goes, now this is what you do, son. Miss the payment, right? And I did. I missed the payment. And I was like, oh, I need to restructure my loan. And they're like, no problem because- They paid nothing for it. They paid nothing for it. Or you could get short payoff. Yeah. Now that I understand that, Like that's basically what you're doing is you're buying paper in first position. Yeah. So we're primarily in first position and you're right. Back then you could buy this stuff for pennies to 15 cents on a dollar. So I always joke when people say, oh, I haven't heard about that. I'm like, well, yeah, nobody's been in the business more than typically five to 10 years because everybody that was in the business prior to that mopped up so much money in 2008 to 12 that they just got out and like, I'm good because they are sitting on piles and piles of cash. That was a perfect opportunity, which I don't foresee happening again, but you never know. Probably not in our lifetimes, but what a tsunami. I mean, that's when I really got into real estate. But I remember watching the headlines and I was like, wait a second. These big guys that have like know how to raise big money, Wall Street guys that are just going out, oh, let's create a new fund. And then they take that fund and and fund it with private capital and they were mopping up. And if you search today... Google the term private credit fund and you look at BlackRock is raising billions of dollars and Carlisle and all these huge institutional investors. They're all basically stocking the shelves 
in a quote unquote private credit fund, which is this is exactly what it is. They're getting ready to buy all this debt, whether it's commercial or residential, which we can talk about the economy where that's headed. When you see all those big players stocking up for something, that should set little alarms off in the back of your head because they always know before we do because they're connected. Maybe we should be doing the same thing. Exactly. This is why we have podcasts. This is why I love getting on my podcast talking about current events and what's going on. There's usually a lot of clues, right? And this is why it's important more than ever to educate yourself and be in groups that are talking about this because the needle is always moving. You've got to understand the flow and the shifts of currents because that's how real estate works. It's not fast, but you can start to see things coming. And if that's the case, then you get ready. So let's talk about the market. What do you see happening in the next six months to a year? Great question. For me, we're typically a lot on the front end of things because as a lender, like I follow how much distressed debt are we seeing coming across our table? Where six months ago, we were barely seeing anything. And all of a sudden, starting in March and April, we went from seeing about $300 million in loans for sale per quarter to $500 million per month. And that's just us for our portfolio. And we're buying on average $2 million a month. So we're starting to see a significant uptick. And I'm a first believer that most people in this country have spending problems. They always try and keep up with the Joneses. And what we're starting to see is a lot of people who have taken lines of credit out on their house in 2020, 2021, where their values have shot up significantly, paid off all that credit card debt. Guess where they are today? Back into that credit card debt and they're defaulting on their cars and on their second mortgages and the mortgages. And believe it or not, people are more apt to pay their car than they are the mortgage because they know repo man can come pretty quickly and they need to get their job where the mortgage, they're more protected because of the courts. So to answer your question, I still think we're going to see some downturn. I think it's just like you said, real estate, it's very slow. It's not going to be overnight. Real estate's not like Bitcoin, can shoot up or shoot down. I think on the long term, the next 24, 36 months, I think housing is going to either remain stable or you're starting to see some decreases. I'm not predicting a huge drop in values. I think in some markets you will because a $300,000 house went up to seven fifty, dollars And honestly, it's not sustainable probably in that area with incomes. I think that's the right. I believe the same thing. I think the tide is rising, meaning there's more people coming in the system that are defaulting. And then I also think about like in commercial, I'm just thinking about commercial stuff that I do. A lot of us had bridge notes. I still have like four bridge notes that I'm unpacking. Two of them I refi next month and I'm like, thank God. And then I've got a couple that were about 60 days away. We got to get our occupancy right on track and all our numbers to hit this alignment to be able to execute the refi. Luckily, we've created value, but there's a lot of people that are not created that value right? Or their rate locks are due, meaning the banks make it say, hey, you got to get another rate lock for the next two years. And those rate locks now are just unbelievably expensive. As I mentioned that, it had me thinking, the last few years, it was very difficult to find opportunity because everything has increased. I think the biggest change coming to us is because the banks have really tightened up their lending standards. It's much more difficult to get capital there's going to be a lot more opportunity for people from people in distress, whether you're providing some coming in and saving the day with equity or trying to buy them out because they just over leveraged a mature loan. So we haven't seen that 
a lot in the last several years because of easy money and low interest rates. But I think that's where the opportunity is going to be the greatest for people. We're is- finally starting to break the economy, yep. right? The government, that's what they intended to do, by the way. They needed to break some stuff to slow everything down for a quick minute. Whether it works or not, we'll see. But the government usually is wrong or they overdo it to an extent. And then they swing back the other way. <laughs> yeah, it's two extremes. And I like to use the analogy of last several years, anybody in real estate, it's like, you know, in sports, everyone got the trophy the last few years. Yeah. All you had to do is participate. Now, all of a sudden, the rules have changed. Now you need to know what you're doing. And if you don't, you're going to be on the sidelines or you're not getting that trophy. Survive to 25, right? Even for us, like we've done well, but I'm like, we started ourselves, our own property management company this year. Yep. Because it's about being lean and mean and making sure that we don't have any expenses that are not going out that don't need to. And property management companies, third party, are notorious for spending your money whether you want to or not. Yep. So we're like, we're done with that. So being what we just said about the marketplace and understand that capital money is king. Let's talk about how are you guys raising capital and what's the sentiment of capital right now anyways? Yeah. So first, the sentiment, it's gotten a lot harder to raise capital. And I think for several reasons. One is people are getting more nervous. Two is people who are invested in a lot of real estate see are in certain deals that are not going well. There might be capital calls. They're getting very nervous. And of course, the media over-exaggerates everything. Like there was that Houston developer that went under for $220 million, lost $70 million investor money. And our side of the business, a company called Peer Street, which did a lot of loans, they just went out of business. So you're seeing a lot of bankruptcy filings or people going under, which kind of scares people off. But I think that's a good thing because it's causing people to do some more due diligence. So for us, we're unique in the way that because we have our Regulation A offering, we can raise from accredited and non-accredited. So we've got a much bigger pool we can invest in. We've got over 500 investors, but it's like the dating process. When you get somebody who's interested, you don't ask them to marry you on the first date. There's that vetting process of taking two to three months to get an investor in the door to market costs a little more money nowadays to get people in. And then the other avenue we've looked at is we've started partnering with a broker dealer to use some investment advisors and RIAs to bring some money in the door usually need around $15, $20 million under your belt because if somebody wants to cut you a check for a million bucks, they don't want to be the first million or 20 or 30% of your entire raise. They want under a 5 or 10% piece of uh, pie in that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Great feedback, by the way. So I used to be a financial advisor. And I know every day, like once you get on a platform like that, and it's all about financials and vetted and stuff, but when you have it, those guys can go raise money if once they approve you and get you on their platform within three or four days, sometimes a couple of weeks, right? Whatever. Getting there is the hard part. <laughs> well, getting there is almost near impossible unless you already have to have so much money already, right? But once you get there, it's nirvana. The doors open like, oh, right? That's where you instantly raise $200 million and you didn't even blink an eye. I used to see that happen. We'd have these bonds that would show up or these REITs, right? And they'd be there for 48 hours. And then the third day, the guy calls like, oh, I want some of that deal. You're like, oh, that's gone, man. You can't even have that. It's sold out. Oh, yeah. Your first 10 million is going to be your hardest race. And you'll see people who might be able to easily go do it because they have the connections. They may know somebody with high net worth. But if you're starting with 
let's say you don't know anybody who's of high net worth, it is very difficult. It takes a lot of time. It's not what you read on bigger pockets or some of these websites of, oh, I can go do this. I was speaking with a gentleman who I know very well who's raised over $100 million. And last year, he was raising $9 million for a multifamily deal that he had it oversubscribed in three days. He had a $7 million deal earlier this year. I think he said it took him about four months to get it fully subscribed. And he started trying to pay people to help him raise money. Yep. So listen, we've raised almost $90 million of equity. And I'm telling you, every deal, it's just one of those things where it takes a long time to vet and get good people into your funnel. It always comes, but like it is a process is what I would like to tell everybody, right? But it happens, but you've got to be diligent. What I think most people don't understand is everything that you can do it the very next day. Oh, I met somebody, they're going to give me money. Never, right? Nope, never. If you get somebody you meet, give you money within 30 days, that's really good. 60, 90, I'd say probably you know, the standard we see, usually about two months. And that's because we also have a ton of content that people can go watch and listen in webinars and videos. And it depends on where you're at. If you're brand new and you don't have a track record or anything along those lines, it's a much harder sell. Yeah. The one thing that we've not done this year, Chris, and I think we're going to do it at the end of the year, is we're actually going to create a fund. Now, whether it's a Reg D, I don't think we'll do that yet. I don't think we're ready, but maybe you talk me into it. I don't know. We'll talk after the show, right? Or Reg A, I don't know. I mean, I say Reg D, I mean a Reg A. We are definitely going to create a fund this year because the thought was, the way we do it now, we do it the 506B method where we've never advertised. It's always been friends and family. And we've only did it when we have a deal. Well, the challenge with capital, capital comes in and it's ready to deploy. And after that 60, 90 day vetting process, they're ready to make a decision. And all of a sudden you don't have a deal, they move on, right? So with your guys' fund, you guys always have a place for people to put money. Yep. So we have it evergreen. And that's one also, I'd say the benefits of notes is we can go buy a $50,000 note or a million and a half dollar note. And we see a lot of product like that. Whereas on the multifamily side, like you mentioned, or commercial side, and you got people like might have a 1031 exchange, trying to exchange in something or have this cash sitting there. They want to implement it yesterday. But if you don't have that deal or you're six months away from that deal, it's challenging because you also can't take that capital and just let it sit there and accrue interest payments over six months because it gets very costly. Yeah. So you got to have a funnel. And we're to the point now where we finally have enough deal funnel. Like we had capital. It may have to wait for 30 or 60 days to get placed, but we're not trying to make it wait six months to eight months, right? Like that would be a no bueno. But capital is key right now. And this is what you said earlier is that what are the big boys doing? They're banking money. They know what's coming. And these guys have very long-term horizons. When you look at Wall Street and the way they move, they have a very long-term objective on most of the things they do, but they're preparing. And so there's clues that we should be paying attention to. What do you say to that, Chris? I agree 100%. And it's interesting because typically Main Street and a lot of these large institutions, they actually act in reverse. Where last few years, like right before COVID, and I think it was BlackRock or something had 80% office or something that now is only like 15% office. A lot of those large institutions were selling everything when everyone else was trying to buy. And even on housing, they may go and buy like rent to own communities. But when they look at their portfolios, they were selling a lot of stuff as well or rebalancing. I mean, you just think of like those large corporations, the amount of money they spend on just data analysts 
is probably so huge that they got so much information. My wife works for an international organization. And same thing, the technology and the information that they have and all the reports and information they can provide to you is kind of like an insight that they have that we don't. And of course, they're not going to share all that with you because it's their competitive edge, but you can see what they're doing and kind of get an understanding. And when all of them start doing it, it's like, okay, something's up. Just be out of the curve a little bit, right? And here's the other thing. Those are big tankers on the ocean. They're not very nimble and they're not very quick. And they're slow to turn. And that's the one thing I think as operators like me and you, Chris, there'll always be a place for smart, savvy operators and find the deals that they don't understand or don't understand the value or potential or looking at it from a note perspective, going out there and creating the relationships with the right lenders to get the right notes, right? What the big corporations can't do, we can do very well, which is people and process, right? So we still have a competitive edge that we can compete with the big dogs because there's a lot of things they can't do that we can. Of course, they have unlimited capital and they can buy everything, but there's lots of crumbs for us to pick up that are choice. And so I say fish well, my friends, because there's a lot of fish in the ocean. Perfect example to that is with our fund, for example, we recently got some assets under agreement from a huge institutional fund and some distressed loans that were buying at a discount. And two of the loans that we're acquiring are currently for sale and sale pending. So we're basically going to buy those. And if sale goes through, basically, we're going to get a payoff. It was the loans we bought two years ago, basically was pounding his head against the wall. Again, large institution had these two loans are in Washington, DC. They're actually on the market for sale. And they were selling them at a 40% discount. And basically, both of them actually, again, under agreement. I spoke to the agent and they're like, oh yeah, they're ready to close. Basically, they're closing after the new year or whatnot and so forth. And my attorney couldn't figure out like, why would they sell these? And the reality is, like you said, they don't know what they have because they have so much of it. And they only have so many people to manage it. So typically, when somebody's going to sell something, they just don't even pay attention anymore. Take this lot and sell it, right? Yeah, that's in the for sale bucket. Yeah. I don't even know what's in it, but who cares? Let's just get rid of it. It's all about big numbers for them. Yep. They have no idea what's going on inside the details of it. And that's where you and people like us, that's where we get paid, is to find that stuff and research it and understand the real value, the hidden gems. Exactly. That is, guys, by the way, if you're listening right now, that is the secret to anything real estate is our job is to find needles in the haystack. There's more needles in there than you think if you will take the time and get the skill level to understand how to do it, how to do it well, right? Now, think about this too. Real estate is one of the only asset classes where you can get a competitive edge. You go to invest in a public company or in a stock, there's no competitive edge. I mean, there's insider information, which is illegal, but in real estate, there is a competitive edge you can have, whether understanding the seller's backstory, understanding something about the property, the neighborhood, a development that's going in. There's so much influence on real estate that can happen that you can have an edge on if you know that area or know something going on. And real estate's one of those only asset classes where that really can happen. Amen. Thank God. <laughs> well, listen, Chris, I want to thank you for your time and for just sharing a lot of your wisdom and information. Great content, just overall beautiful podcast today. If people want to reach out and find you, how do they find you, Chris? Yep. Email me at chris at the number seven, the letter e investments.com. 
our website, 7einvestments.com, or I'm on all social media platforms, Facebook, LinkedIn. So feel free to reach out and happy to chat real estate with you. Awesome. Awesome. Any good books you've been listening or reading lately? I just finished a book called Buddha and the Badass, which is a really good book about mindset, which kind of leads into a book called Vivid Vision, which is writing where you want to be in five years. So those are two books that I recently just finished. Highly recommend. And then this past weekend, I just started reading Extreme Ownership by Jocko. I can't think of his last name, but another great book. So that's kind of what's been on my reading list lately. I'm kind of a nonfiction business mindset type of person. Yeah. Love it. Love it. And listen, talking about the power of your mind, the mind is everything, right? It really is. Most people don't utilize it. In fact, most people don't even have it in gear. So I'm going to challenge everybody listening to this podcast. That is the first thing. You've got to get your mind right. And then you got to start to take action because without action, nothing happens. Exactly. If you could give any advice to anybody listening that's neither new or kind of been in the business for a while, what would you give them? What'd you tell them? It's kind of what we talked about earlier on in this podcast. Patience. Don't make the knee-jerk reaction like selling property or real estate. Real estate is the long game. The longer you get in the business, the better off you're going to be. And when you see people who say they're 25 years old, making a million dollars or $2 million a year, I can say that. I could get my 18-year-old daughter to come on and say that. doesn't mean they're doing it. And just realize that it's not about keeping up with the Joneses. It's about what fits your lifestyle. And just take the time. I didn't start getting into real estate till my personal portfolio about 15 years ago because of the fact that I probably wasn't mature enough or ready enough to make that commitment and investment. Great advice. Great mindset. Chris, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast, sharing your wisdom, your knowledge. Guys, I'll say it a thousand times. I'm telling you, I love the way he framed the end of that as patience, right? Take time, pause, be still, look around, formulate a plan, right? Put vision to it. Engage it, put it in drive, use it, cultivate it. Take your little ideal dream and feed it. Feed it daily with positive affirmations, with positive beliefs. And guys, work towards that goal. Because in the end, if you believe it, you can achieve it. And your paradise is possible. Mm -hmm.